We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jordan Schreiber, I know it's still early, but any idea on how you think Notre Dame would match up with Alabama or Georgia in the playoff next year? I mean, I mean, you 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 started it off, Jordan. It's way too early for that. I mean, I need to see exactly what everything looks like on paper, right? I mean, we, the Alabama and Georgia that we saw last year is not going to be what it is what it is this year. I, I don't. I mean, Georgia. I think this is safe to say, and I could be completely wrong about this. I think Georgia is going to take a, a pretty significant step back. Like they're not going to be what they were last year. Like that was a anomaly in my opinion, right? Like I think they're still going to be a, a 10. They're going to be a double digit win team and contending for an SEC championship, but they're not going to be a defense that allows, what was it? 11 points a game or some crazy number. Like it was a ridiculous number, right? So I think that, I think both teams are going to be very good because they are historically. I think that what Notre Dame has, and I don't want to say an advantage, but one one spot that I think I feel better about than I do would historically against an Alabama or Georgia is that I think that both teams' secondaries are not going to be as good as they have been in your past, at least yeah. at the cornerback position, right? So yeah. if Notre Dame's wide receivers take a step forward, which I think they will, I think that you match up better against – Kool-Aid McHistory and even Akili Ringo, even though he's very talented, but like he, he needs to take a massive step forward. Like the cornerback positions at both teams are not quite as good. So it's, it's the thing where like, I think it's not a traditional matchup. Like it's not what we would typically think of as Notre Dame having disadvantages in certain spots, but I have to see it on paper before I give you a complete analysis on it. I think for me, I think Alabama is going to take a step back offensively this year, but I think they're going to be a lot better on defense because I think the front seven is still going to be really good, uh, especially if they're able to find a way to get Will Anderson and Dallas Turner on the field together, which I think that they will. So I think I think they'll be better on – I don't say a lot better. I think they're going to be better on defense this year because I think last year, one of the things that hurt them late in the year last year is something that's going to help them this year, and that is a lot of the guys that were not good DBs were hurt by the end of the year, which allowed younger guys to get opportunities to play. They got Eli Ricks, but I don't, I don't, I don't trust that kid to, you know, as far as I can throw him. You know, he's a talented kid, but you don't know if he's going to be suspended or just not be in his right mind or a very immature kid. But I agree with your point. That's an area where I think Notre Dame can have some success. And 
they're going to have a heck of a time covering Michael Mayer because none of their safeties are, are great cover guys, in my opinion, especially against a guy like Michael Mayer. It comes down to if is Notre Dame's offensive line as good as we think, and is can Tyler Buckner make plays? That's what's going to come down to for me. I think Notre Dame's defensive line can have success in this game because I think Notre Dame's defensive line in 2022 is going to be better than their defensive line was in 2020, and that 2020 defensive line more than held its own against Alabama. And this is going to be a better Notre Dame O-line, D-line and not as good of, a, of an Alabama offensive line, in my opinion. So uh, I think there's some matchups where Notre Dame has some advantages. Can they pressure Bryce Young and can they create big plays in the, in, on offense? Those are going to be the questions in, in that kind of matchup. George, I would I think, is a matchup that I think would would work would bode well for Notre Dame. I think I actually like the Georgia matchup better than I do like the Alabama matchup. Just because at the end of the day, I mean, who are you more concerned about, stopping Stetson Bennett or stopping Bryce Young? And I'm more concerned about stopping Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. So I am actually think Ohio State's a tougher matchup for Notre Dame this year than Georgia would be. That's just my that's just my two cents. I, I, it's, we're talking about this before you get on the show. Look, I know the 15 draft picks and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is Georgia, Georgia had talent, but that was not a great team. It was a really good team. They played no one in the regular season. The first good team they played in the regular season – I count the if you can count the title game as a regular season was Bama and Bama destroyed their defense, destroyed their defense because they didn't have a great pass. They didn't have a great pass defense. It's just they only played one team that could could do any damage on them. That was Tennessee. But by the time they got to the second quarter, Tennessee was down to like one of their top five or four or five receivers. And, and so I just I was not I was not as in love with that defense compared to other people. It was really really good. I'm talking about the thoughts of one of the greatest defenses of all time, all this other kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, because I mean, how many of the guys that got drafted high were like, wow, that guy got overdrafted. That guy got overdrafted, right? I mean, so that doesn't mean they weren't really good. It's just like this wasn't Miami 2001, right? right. That this, no. that was not that. No. no. And and so, uh, you know, I just I, – I think – and you lost – but you lost all those guys. And now I, – so I, I think – but, again, this goes – does Tyler Buckner take a step? Do the receivers take a step? Is the line as good as we think? Can they cover? Can they cover people in the secondary? Like, there's a lot of questions. All of mm-hmm. what I just said is dependent on all those things being answered in the affirmative, right? And so uh, that would be my my two cents. Good, good call on the Tennessee game, by the way. Hendon Hooker actually had a really good start against yeah. Georgia that game. He was yeah. he looked pretty good early. Really, once good early. that because they had one of their top receivers was still playing. And once he went down, which was like late first, early second quarter, I mean, it was a lot tougher. He sure, sure passed for over three bills in that game. It just it was some chunk plays. It was they didn't quite they weren't quite as good. But yeah, I mean, they, there were there were opportunities there to to be had, and there were other chances they could have had plays, but the pass rush just got to them, and that won't happen, I think, this year because there's no Trayvon Walker. Or there's there's no, you know, there's some of the guys they had last year that are really good at rushing the quarterback aren't there? And I know Nolan Smith is back and he's really good and all yeah. that, but you I mean, know. I mean, they, yeah, they have him and they have Jalen Carter, who's a, who's a dude. Yeah. But like, other than that, yeah, they, they had I him mean, last year too, along with the other guys that are now in the NFL, and that's kind of my right. point. Sure, Adam Anderson was out by that time, correct? Yeah, I think he only played like the first five or six yeah, games. I, I mean, that kid, was, by then. man, that kid was so good. It's yeah. a shame he did what he did, yeah. but yeah. That was accused of. I'll still, I'll still give yeah, him sure. the innocent till proven fair. guilty, but it sounds pretty bad. It sounds really bad. Yep. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. John Ed with a Super Chat. This is a good one. You get to take one player from any Notre Dame team, past or present, and add him to any Notre Dame team from 2000 to 2021 range to win a championship. Who do you take as your difference maker? Wow. I, I still say, like, I still am going to go with there's, – there's two options. If I can take someone that signed with Notre Dame, I'm putting Randy Moss in there, right? But if you got to take from a guy that actually played – Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, Ryan, I, I'm going with, I'm going with, I would still say bring Justin Tuck back in 05. And that that's a simple, and that's not even like taking Isaiah Foskey from now back to then. I'm just saying, take, I take Justin Tuck from the 04 team and let him play his final year. Cause I think it was his fifth year. He, he left after his senior year, but he had another year of eligibility left. I believe mm-hmm. I could be wrong on that. I would say you put Justin Tuck on that 05 team. They lost an overtime to Michigan State. I don't think that happens. And they lost uh, late against against USC, which I don't think happens if Justin Tuck plays. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I see that, I said, boy, I would have loved to have seen what that team could have done with Justin Tuck at defensive end. Uh, opposite Victor Abimiri with Trevor Laws and Derek Landry on the inside. Uh, that would have been that would have been a fun team to watch. That'd have been a fun what, team to watch. Was it the 2017 team, the one that you said you thought could win a championship? Was that the they one? had a better quarterback? Yeah, a better quarterback. Okay, so I'm going to take Brady Quinn. I'm going to dump him into 2017. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I don't know if he would have been the type of quarterback that I would have liked to have seen. I think I might have taken like a, a more of a mobile guy, like maybe a Jarius Jackson. You know, because again, you, you, that team was going to run the football a ton. Sure, and you know. I would say here's what I'll cheat and here's what I'll cheat and say. Give me Brady Quinn as the co- co- quarterback, and then I'm going to cheat and take a position coach. I'm going to give him a new receivers coach. All right? Can I do that? Because then you'd have had someone that would have decided to play Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool instead of Cam Smith and Freddie Canteen in a game they lost by one point to Georgia. Is that is that fair? Can I cheat and That's do fair. that? That's fair. No, I'll give that to you. I, I think that 2017 team with better quarterback play would have been really really tough to beat. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the 2015 team is one where I'm not, there's not players I would change out. There's coaches I would change out. Cause I thought that team, the roster, like Sean, Sean and I talk about this all the time. And, and, and like the 15 players are like, man, if, if Malik doesn't get hurt and Torian doesn't get hurt. And I'm like, forget that. If they still got hurt and you had better coaches, you still win a title that year. In my opinion, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's it, Malik got hurt. It's, you know, that was before Deshaun kind of lost his way, but you know I mean? 
you lost Tory and you still had CJ Procise and Josh Adams, right? I mean, it was yeah. a coaching problem. That was about as loaded of a team as, as Notre Dame is going to have. It was a coaching issue. And, you know, that to me is is something that you look at and say, boy, if that team would have if that team would have had better coaching, they they might have been they might have been a problem for a lot of people. And you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to that one. So the, I love, these are fun questions. They, they really are. They're very fun questions. Like here's, here's one for you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. What if the 2020 team had the 2018 corners? Julian Love and Troy Pride. Instead of, what was it? Nick McLeod. Nick McLeod and, and I mean, Tariq Bracey. Bracey. Yeah. And yeah. then he got benched for Clarence Lewis, true freshman Clarence Lewis. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a lot better of a team. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you're not wrong. I mean, those, those comments, and you know, put it, put any, any top quarterback on some of those teams, like the 2018 team. What if the 2018 team had a better quarterback? That's fair. You know, that's fair. Yeah. So uh, that's one where I'd put Brady Quinn on that one right there. 2018. Because, because here's why: the the overall roster would have been different with Brady because you had Brady had his own version of Samarja and Stovall in 2018 with Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin. Right. I mean, that's what he liked to do. He liked to throw those back shoulders and all that stuff. He mm-hmm. would have he would have thrown those deep balls that Ian wasn't throwing against Clemson. He would have thrown those. Brady was not afraid to throw those passes. No, you know, no, he Brady Brady was not afraid to throw a football. Yeah. Man. He he had some conviction every deep right. ball he threw. I mean, right. how many how many how many Deval Camara highlights were just him chucking the ball up deep to Deval Camara, you know, as he went. I mean, not Deval Camara, I mean um Jeff Samarja. No, I wasn't even talking most, about most of all. Most of all. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know why. I just both six, five and long. Right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Yep. The Volcamara. Yep. Whoops. Yep. No, you had to go with the Jersey guy. I get it. I completely understand. I completely Always, understand. Always, man. You got to give him and Theo Riddick and all the dudes some, yeah. some love, you know? Gotta yeah. Happen. But I mean, if you look at that, if you look at that 15 team, though, for example, they had eight kids, one, two, three, four, five, seven kids, seven kids drafted that next year from that team. Two first rounders, two second rounders, two third rounders, a fourth rounder. The next year, starters from that team went in the second round and the seventh round, and then the next year, two starters or starters from that team went in first, first, fourth, and sixth. And then in nineteen, you had a starter from that team go in the first round. So that fifteen team had one, two, three, four, five first round draft picks on it. Now they weren't all first round draft picks at that time. Like Jerry Tillery wasn't a first round draft pick in twenty fifteen, but he was still a talented player that started on that football team as a true freshman. You know, but you had Ronnie Stanley, Will Fuller were first round picks. Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey were first round picks. I would argue that they did play like that kind of guy. I thought Mike McGlinchey's best year was still 2015 as a right tackle. I still think that was his best year at Notre Dame. And of course, you had Ronnie Stanley. And then, of course, you know, then you had, you know, you had guys like Durham Smythe, who was a fourth round pick. You had Jalen Smith. That's another one. Jalen Smith would have been a first round pick if it's not for mm-hmm. the knee injury. Yeah. Right. And they wouldn't have been playing in the Fiesta Bowl if he, if, they had a better coaching staff. Another way that Brian Van Gorder ruined Jalen Smith's career because they they weren't playing in the right game. Nick Martin, second round pick. Kavari Russell's third round pick. CJ Procise, third round pick. Like the amount of first, second, and third round picks that team had on their roster in 2015 is absurd. Was Nick Nick Martin was the second round pick? Really? Yep. Of the Houston, wow. he went 50, 51, 50, 51. Interesting. He went. Yeah, he was Nick Martin, second, nineteenth pick of the second round. I knew I knew he was pretty early, but I thought he was a little lower. That's pretty crazy. Mm. Wow. Yep. Went 51st. Kavari Russell was a third round pick that year. CJ Procise was a third round pick. Sheldon Day was a fourth round pick. So that team had so much NFL talent. And yeah. Romeo Guara didn't get drafted off that team, but 
but he was a starter in the NFL for multiple years, had a year with over 10 sacks in the NFL. It doesn't even include him. Matthias Farley started for the Colts for an entire year, and he was a backup on that team. Romeo Guar has been a quietly good yeah. football player in the NFL yeah. for a while now. Yep. Yep. So that team was absolutely loaded. So yes, give me a give me a quarterback on that 18 team or a better coaching staff on that 2015 team. Or as I said at the beginning, give me Justin Tuck on that 2000. In the spirit of this right here, you give me Justin Tuck on that 2015, on that 2005 team. If he comes back, that would have been a lot of fun. B. Straw, why do you think schools have started moving official visits to May, June? You would think the schools would want to save them for a big game week and show the kids the big game atmosphere. Ryan, can I just quickly address this one? Because most kids are going to be committed by then. And if you wait till then, you're going to be out of the game with a lot of kids. It's pretty, pretty cut and dry. Yep. Right. Plus, here's nothing. As a coach, practically, I can't give you nearly as much attention when you're on campus for a weekend, a game weekend. That's why schools are now moving game weekends up to when they're juniors and then bring them officials for when they're when they're uh, over the summer. Here we go, Ryan. Cricky says, give me your dream class. You finish out the rest of the commitments and you don't have to mention the QB. We don't mind men. It's not like he's like, you know, Lord Voldemort, who's, you know, the, the name we don't speak of. It's just I'm not going to update his recruitment until there's something new and there hasn't been anything new that I've heard other than him taking some visits. There's nothing new compared to everything that's reported. I'm just kind of tired of covering that part of it. I don't mind talking about him, and he's definitely must get. So, Ryan, mm-hmm. to answer the question, give me your dream finish. Let's say Notre Dame can get no more than twenty six. Okay, are we? Are we still keeping like this? every every kid oh. on the board? And they signed thirty seven kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are, are we still re- keeping this semi realistic, or can I give them Richard Young at running back? <laughs> I mean, dream finish of something you think is realistic, right? Realistic. But I mean, look, the kid's freaking visiting officially. That that's uh, here's yeah. my thing, Ryan. If a kid's going to take an official visit to Notre Dame, I can't tell you it's not realistic they're going to get him. Do I think they're going to get him? No, I don't. But sure, it's sure. realistic he's visiting. He's going to make an official visit. So, yeah, you can include him if you want. Sure, sure. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say I'm not going to include him because I think it's unfair, okay? <laughs> I'm I'm going to I'm going to say I'm probably actually going to start on defense here. Let's start on defense. Dream class, Caleb Downs is added to the safety room with Adon Schuler and Peyton Bowen cornerbacks. Give me Micah tease one spot. Give me Micah bell at the other. And I'm going to take three corners in this class, Brian, because I can. So in that <laughs> sense, I'll take Christian gray. All right. Okay. As my, as my top three corners there linebackers, I'm only going to take one. Well, actually, hmm, let me revive right. Jay Nosberry. Are you paying attention to the numbers? No, not really. Not really. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to get the 37 though. I promise. You do know be- you only have 85 scholarships to work with. Right? Yes, I know. I know. I'm, 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 don't worry. I'm good here. I'm good. All right. So Jay Nosberry is a yes. I'm going to leave it just at that one linebacker for now. Okay. I'm just going to leave it there. D, uh, defensive line. Jason Moore is the last guy in that group. Offensive line. We have to get Monroe Freeling, Charles Jagasaw. I must call him Jagusa. And let's uh, um, who am I missing there? We are, we already have Pendleton. You already have Sullivan Absher. Do we want a fifth offensive lineman? I'm going to skip out on a fifth offensive lineman for numbers sake. I'm going to skip out on a fifth offensive lineman tight end. You already have your tight end wide receivers, Rodney Gallagher, Jaden Greathouse. 
Do I want to take a fourth? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I want to take a fourth, but uh, do I want to include Ronan Hannafin as a wide receiver or take him as an athlete? I'll, I'll just include Ronan Hannafin as a wide receiver there. He's the fourth one on there. And then I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Dante Moore obviously isn't a quarterback. I'm going to say I want Jeremiah Love as, as a running back, and then I will take Samuel Mpemba as an athlete. Okay. So Ryan, his dream class is 39 kids. So <laughs> it was not 39. It was not 30. So you got Dante, Jeremiah Love. Did you say yeah. did you say Jade Lamar? I did not say Jade Lamar. Okay. I left him out of this then one. Then you said what, three receivers, right? Gallagher, yep. Greathouse, and then Hannafin. Correct. And you had two offensive linemen, right? Mm-hmm. And then Jason Moore. Then yep. uh Jordan Jordan. You had Mpemba as an athlete. Then you had Jaden Osbury as a as a linebacker. Then you had three DBs. Three corner. Well, three uh four DBs, three corners, and then one safety. Okay, so you went 14. Yep. Okay. So All 27. Right. Wasn't that bad? Yeah. yeah. The 27. All right. Can make I'm going to stick at 26, but it's going to be very similar. Uh, Dante Moore, quarterback. I, I I know that the staff does not agree with me, but I would take yep. Jeremiah Love over Jay Lamar. That would just be my two cents. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I would take three receivers. It would be Rodney Gallagher, Jaden Greathouse, and Ronan Hannafin. And at offensive line, I would only take two because I get, in my dream scenario, Monroe Freeling and Charles uh, – Jagasaw commit to me in June, so I don't need to, or in you know late June, early July, so I don't need to take a fifth guy. Defensive line, Jason Moore. I'm, you know, I'm taking Jaden Osbury. I mean, that's a no brainer. I'm taking Jaden Osbury. I'd go Samuel Pemba as an athlete, but like linebacker, DN kind of guy, and cornerback. It's very similar. I'm going Micah Bell. Uh, I'm not going Christian Gray. I'm going two corners and one safety. So I'm going three DBs. I'm going Micah Bell. I'm going Calvin Simpson Hunt. And then I'm taking Caleb Downs as my safety. That'd be my dream finish. Wow. You can either have Caleb Downs or you can have Richard Jung. Take one or the other, and I'm taking Caleb Downs. Uh, I would do that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Do that. Oh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, the, the the corner conversation was interesting. I was almost just going to stick to two, but because my thing is numbers wise, they're actually good numbers wise. They need some impact players, and so I, I I would only take a third guy if it was like a really like high level guy, and I just you know I I don't know if I or if it was a guy that could play somewhere else. Like if if Mike Atiz wanted to be my third corner, I'd take him and give him a shot at receiver if he wanted it. That would be right. my that'd be my dream finish. That would be my dream finish. So you ended up at what twenty six? Twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah, because right. yeah, I didn't take a fifth offensive lineman. Right? I didn't that either. Be, I just that, took the extra corner. Yeah, yeah. That's mine. So I, that's a that's a good one. That's a very good one. I, I like questions like that. They're fun, especially for mailbags. John A. One asked, which quarterback do you project to have better Notre Dame career, Dante Moore or Tyler Buckner? I, I would say Dante Moore, I guess. I mean, it's an interesting conversation. It really – actually, let me rethink this. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm still going to go Dante Moore because I – I just, I think I just like, I just think I like him a little, a little bit better than Tyler Bucker coming out of high school. Like, I just, I don't think it's by a ton. I just think it's a little tiny bit. So, and he's going to walk in to a better coaching staff off the get, off the get go, right? Like, that's the difference for me. So, I think Buckner's going to have a great career. I would just slightly take Dante Moore for that, for that instance. For me, I'm going to go Dante Moore for a little bit of a different reason. And that is simply that I think he's going to have better better players around him. I, I mean, it's top to bottom. He's got better players around him. Uh, Tyler Buckers have very good players around him, but I mean, we're seeing what their, this coaching staff is putting together is they can just keep the majority of staff together for two to three years. Just the majority of it. This team is going to be loaded. Um, so I, I'd, I'd probably go Tyler Buckner 
just because of that. I also looking at the schedules Dante's going to face, they're going to be tough, but not quite what I think this year and next year's schedules are going to be. That's also part of it as well. So, uh, but it, I'm like halfway through that. And then I'm like, but man, Tyler Buckner's really dynamic. I mean, the, honestly, if, if I wasn't a little bit concerned about Tyler Buckner staying healthy, I, I might go with him because he's such a dynamic dual threat guy. And you know, my stance on dual threat guys, I love dual threat quarterbacks. So that would probably be where I would go with that. Ryan is, is I'm, I'm back and forth. If you ask me again tomorrow, I might change my answer. I'm very high on Tyler <laughs> Buckner, but you know, it, it just, I think too, is I think Dante more and part of this depends on, you know, how long is Tom Maurice going to be here? Cause if Tom Maurice is going to be here for four or five more years, then my answer changes. It's, clearly Dante more because Dante better fits what Tommy's looking for. If he, if, you know, let's just say hypothetically that, that Tommy Reese left after a year and they hired Jeff Lebby as the offensive coordinator, I'd switch it to Tyler Buckner. Cause I think Jeff Lebby likes that real dynamic dual threat quarterback. Right. So that, that, you know, that, that's part of it as well. And at least as far as how I answer the question. DM ND 13. What are your thoughts on Brady Quinn suggesting we change the phrase from four to 40 to four for forever? Um, I think that's not practical. I think it sounds cool, but four for 40 is practical. You know, you're going to graduate when you're in your, your twenties, you're going to retire in your sixties. Right. It's, and then, you know, four for 40, four for forever. I mean, that's just like, that's getting a little bit too, like, you know, you're a legend forever. And like, you know, I don't know, just too, too cliche. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I think that's a good way of summing it up. I think summing it up. I I don't think like, why, why, why do we need to change it? What's is, is it not I think work? part is everybody's work. following it. Everybody's st- trying to steal it and all that. And, you know, just, I don't know. And I don't know. Exactly. I'm with you. I, I don't like, I don't like changing things unless it needs to be changed. Right. Unless it's not working and it's exactly. working. Exactly. And every kid you talk to brings that up, Ryan still brings that up with Notre mm-hmm. Dame specifically. Ryan, you missed the. Did you see the beginning of how our show started with the, the conversation <laughs> of the, the world war two battleships? No, I did not. So John did A. One is a Navy man, so he says Iowa would take it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him on that because he's not only a, a man of history like I am, but he's also a Navy man. So I think he would have a better feel for that. So we we uh, I'm glad that John agrees with me on that because, like I said, a, a smart Navy man's telling me that. So, uh, yeah, I, I dig that. R. J. G. Irving confused by a top 200 ranking, more skill positions than top 200, and no line rated 201 might still be one of the best at his position. Is the rating pure athletic ability? Uh, I'd have to look at the numbers, R. J. But to just take the premise of what you're saying, I think a lot of it is just uh, honestly, it's what I've said to you all for years. The rankings are about. They're not about an honest assessment of who the best players are. Right. I just, a lot of it's possessed. How many offensive linemen are going to be generating clicks for people? Right. Right. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Some of these people that are making the recruiting, you know, the, the rankings, are are they sitting down and are they grading every single player? I mean, it's, it's a little bit of chaos to be honest. So yeah, I, I would say the the most honest thing that you can do is to watch a player's film and then give your own assessment on it. Like the yeah. like the Joe the Joe Odding thing for me, right? Everyone's like, "Oh, three starts." Just like that kid's not a three star. Like right. he's not. I mean, it's just well, I take dude, him I, I over Austin Servo every day of the week, and that's a top two hundred ranked kid, one hundred percent. 
Like, I think the thing for me too is I would say watch the film, listen to people you trust, us and others, look at the offer lists and look at the ranking. Take them all in, right? Take them all in as part of your overall data points, right? And and then say, okay, which of these factors is is best reflective of what I feel about this kid? Right. Well, this kid's ranked really high, but for some reason, Notre Dame doesn't want him. Bama's not recruiting him and Georgia's not going after him. OK, well, that might tell you something, but he's ranked high. Like, remember the kid, Kevin Pine, a few years ago from B. He was like rivals had him as like a five star. And it's like six, people going nuts. Like, why isn't Notre Dame offering this kid? And I'm like, because he's not good. <laughs> right. Same reason Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State, nobody else, Penn State, nobody else is offering him. You know, he's just not good. But he's ranked as a five star. Yeah, because Mike Farrell likes him. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so just I, I say take all the data, but then understand that the data can only tell you so much. I can't tell you that this is a you know 17 year old kid who's 6'5, 240 now, but he's going to be 310 pounds when it's all said and done, right? Th- those things right. can't be projected. And so that's why I say is just don't obsess over the rankings, but don't ignore them either because they're fun. Number one, they're fun. If people look at them correctly, they're fun. And number two, the percentages of success rates does give you some sort of small tidbit of, okay, well, this kid has a chance to be good because of his ranking, but understand that that's not the end all be all. It shouldn't even be your number one thing on the priority list. And then the other thing too, is properly understand rank of offers. And, and just because Bama offers a kid doesn't mean that that shows that, well, he's an elite player because Bama, like everybody else has their strengths and has their weaknesses when it comes to evaluation. For example, if Iowa is making a Midwestern lineman a huge priority, you should rethink looking at his film again, right? Because I'll take Kirk Ferentz's evaluation of an offensive lineman over the guy that Georgia just hired, right? And over the guy that Bama had before and and Doug Marone. The new Bama coach, I I like what I see from him so far, right? I think he's a good coach. He did a great job at Kentucky, I think. You know, Kyle Flood. I respected that guy's evaluations because he's one of the best in the business, right? So I look more for, okay, does this program have an opportunity or does this program have a have a, a history of success at a position, right? And and is are those people, you know, really looking at, at you know, are, are those people still there? So I think those are the things that I, that I would factor into that, right? And it, it's why I say look at those things a little bit more thoroughly. Full context, full context. Yep. Yep. Josh Miller, do you see how Washington is a must keep? If Golden leaves, do we just upgrade Washington so we don't lose him? I, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know enough about Al Washington from a pure defensive coordinator perspective. Like, I don't know how he would call the game, right? So I don't know what the impact would be. I would say you want to keep Al Washington, though. So if that mm-hmm. is, if that's upgrading him to a, I mean, you mentioned somebody as a pass, passing game coordinator on the offensive side of football. Like if he wants to be a run game coordinator, you know, as far as the defensive structure, yeah, I would consider it. There's no doubt about it. Cause I, I think that Al Washington not only is a, is going to be a really good coach for Notre Dame, he's a dynamic recruiter. So yes, mm-hmm. if it means upgrading him to a certain position, I would definitely consider it. There's no doubt about it. In theory, Right. This isn't have to do wash in theory. I do not promote assistant coaches to coordinator jobs to keep them somewhere. I don't. Um, you saw that with Ohio State and Kerry Coombs. We've seen this. We saw this with Jimmy Lake at Washington. He kept getting promoted because they didn't want to lose him as a DB coach. But he wasn't a good defensive coordinator. He was solid and he was a bad head coach. And now the program's a mess. But you did that because you couldn't lose an assistant coach that was doing a phenomenal job as an assistant coach. 
Jimmy Lake as a DB coach was elite, right? Elite. But now you don't have him, and your program's a hot mess because you kept promoting him to jobs he wasn't capable of. We've seen that with other guys. I think that's kind of what happened with Gene Chizik. Gene Chizik did a really nice job as a D coordinator, and it resulted in him getting a head coaching job, right? And, yeah, he got a national title because he got Cam Newton, but look what he did in every other year he didn't have Cam Newton, right? I mean, we see this all the time with coaches getting promoted because they were really good at, at one thing doesn't mean you're going to be good at the next thing. That's in theory. So to specifically now Washington, if he's got the chops for the job and Marcus Freeman has the chops for the job, then you flat out promote him if Al Golden leaves, flat out. But only if he has the chops for the job. Now, if you think he's got some strengths, but I'm not sure if he can run the whole defense by himself, then like Ryan said, hire him a, a pass game coordinator that maybe can help him in an area where he's not as strong, right? I'm cool with that. But yes, I would love to make sure that you do what you can to keep out Washington. But you also have to understand is, do you make that move knowing that a good year from out Washington means he's probably head coach somewhere? You know, that could be a, a negative. It could be a positive. Hey, let's let these guys run this offense defense for a year. And, uh, and, and we, cause we can win with them. And we know that Al's going to be a head coach next year. And then I can go out and, you know, do something different. That may be part of the conversation too. But uh, look, I, I, if a guy's got the chops to be a coordinator, I don't really care that he's ever done it before. So it's, I don't care about his experience, but if Marcus Freeman feels like, boy, this guy, this guy can call a defense. I, 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 we saw how he worked during pregame. We saw the suggestions he would make in game. Like he has a knack for this. Yeah. Promote him. I'm totally fine with that. And give him a big pay raise to make sure you can keep him as long as possible. Because the more money you pay him as a D coordinator, the more head coaching jobs he'll turn down to stay until the right head coaching job comes along. So Brent Venables, we've seen other coaches in the past. And I have a feeling Al Washington is one of those guys that understands the value in taking the right job. Every coach should know this. Take the right job, not just a job. Just because it's a head coaching job doesn't mean it's better than your current situation as a coordinator deal as a position coach, right? So the, that would be part of it as well. But it's a very interesting scenario. But I, I understand why people want to have that happen, Ryan, because he is, he is, I mean, in five months, he's absolutely crushed so far his job. And not just with, I mean, I thought he, I thought the D line looked really good in the blue goal game. I mean, just across the board, the technique was improved, the motor was improved. Oh, the D line played really well. So I think even there, uh, he's, he's doing really, really well. They were flying around. That whole defense was flying around. It was impressive. Yeah. Tyler Evans says, what team would like Notre Dame to play that you would like Notre Dame to play that they never played before, also home-and-home home format? They've never played before. Wow. Hmm. Man, I, I need like a, a word bank of all the teams that they haven't played before, you know? Yeah. Be. yeah I'm pulling it up now um, to see some teams that they've never played before. I, I'm going to go – through here this there's a site called winsipedia which like lists mm-hmm. all the teams they've played it's a really cool site i really like it but uh let's go through let's see here the uh the acc big 10 big 12 okay they've big 12 they've played texas and oklahoma tcu they've played once i didn't know they played tcu i forgot about that when did they play tcu 1972 all right, that would be why I forgot about it because it was before I was born. I probably never actually oh, knew about it. Here, here's one. Apparently, Notre Dame has never played Auburn. No, I don't really care about SEC teams. I'm just saying they're they're pretty substantial. Yeah, uh, yeah they've played Arkansas. They've ne- you know, here's here's the nurse. The SEC teams they've never played. They've never played Arkansas, which will change mm-hmm. soon because they're on, yep. they have a home and home set up with them. They've never played Auburn. They've never played Mississippi State. They have played Ole Miss. 
twice. They actually lost to Ole Miss one of the years that they won a title. I think the year that they that the Dan Devine won a national title, I think they lost to Auburn or uh, uh, Ole Miss early in the year. They've played Georgia three times, 0 and 3. Pac 12. They've played just about everybody in the Pac 12, I believe. Yep, everybody in the Pac 12. They've played 10 SEC teams. So who haven't they played? They haven't played Mississippi State. They haven't played Kentucky. Auburn. They haven't played, they've never played Kentucky. See, that would be one. That would be one because just the regional aspect of it. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. it wouldn't do a whole lot for you, but I wouldn't mind seeing a home and home with Kentucky. They're a regional team. That's fair. And then what about the Big Ten? Who haven't they played in the Big Ten? So let's see, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. They've played everybody in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So it's only the, the 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 SEC is really the only league that there's teams that they haven't played before. Let's see, that's crazy. There's one. There's got to be uh, Big Twelve. Has to be something in the Big Twelve. Who are we missing in the? They've never played Kansas State before. They've never played Kansas okay. State. There's yeah. one more team in the Big Twelve that they haven't played, and I'm trying to figure out who it is. They've played Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They've never played Texas Tech, and I could care I could not care less about playing Texas Tech or Kansas State. To be completely honest with you. So I guess Auburn. There's tradition there. You know, getting to play in the plains and all that would be cool. I, I think Kentucky would be pretty cool too. That's about it. How I about have zero um, interest in going to Starkville for a football game? How zero. about uh, if I can cover the game, can I go to uh, Myrtle Beach when they play Coastal Carolina? There you can go. We make that happen. There you go. Sure, you can drive down if you want. I'm not paying for it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's fine. We'll do that's that. fine. We'll do that. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, we can do that. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um. Good question. I'm, and I'm actually – so part of the reason that we postponed today's sh- show as far as a topic is I'm still working on putting our schedule together. And one of the things we're going to do early on is we're going to kind of break down the schedule. But then we're going to have a fun – we're going to have some fun shows too. And one of them is going to be like what – you know, what are some teams you'd like to see Notre Dame play? You know, and it could be teams they've played before. What would be your ultimate Notre Dame schedule? So we're going to have some um, – we're going to have some interesting, fun conversations when it comes to that. Jordan Schreiber says, how do you think the Buckeyes O-line is going to play under their new coach this year, Ryan? I, I mean, I don't think it'll be worse than last year. Last year was pretty bad, to be honest. I, I think that getting Paris Johnson at maybe his more natural position at left tackle, I, I like the upside of him. I mean, he's a really talented player. Dewan Jones, if he can keep his weight in, in – check then i'd like him as well but man he was just playing way too heavy last year like he was just a little slow-footed last year playing at like 360 plus so and i like the center whip whip whipler right whip, whipler whatever his luke name whipler, is yeah. luke yeah, whipler he's, he's a good football player so i think it'll be better I, I don't think it's gonna be great next year this next season coming up but i think it'll definitely be better than last year i mean nicholas petit freer was not good last year thire mumford was awful last year like mm-hmm. it was bad film i think he don't he ended up going in like the sixth round and people were trying to project him as yeah. like a day two play player. Like it was just not great film for Ohio state last year on the offensive line. Here's the question mm-hmm. I have for you. Are you talking big picture throughout the season? Or are you referring to game one? So in, I, I was talking big picture. I was okay. talking full season. Yeah. Big picture. I agree with you. I think Justin Fry is a good football coach and I mm-hmm. think, I think he'll have them going well. I also think that to your point, I think you're spot on about Paris Johnson being in a better, they'll be better. Like Nicholas Pettifrey, like you said, was not good last year. Yep. Uh, I still don't like the other kid at tackle. I think he should, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't think he moves well enough. I just, I don't see it. He needs Luke, to lose like 30 yeah. pounds, man. Like, I just, just and then heavy. they probably have what Matthew Jones at one of the guard spots, but he's back, right? He'll probably be one. Of, it's just not a super talented line in my opinion, outside of, outside of Paris Johnson. In my opinion, now Luke yeah. Luke Whipple is a really good college football player, but he's mm-hmm. like he's like a Nick Martin type of really good college football player in that 
you know, he's technically sound, you know, battle good at, he's, you know, good athlete, you know, not really a great, great player. I mean, I think the, the point that I think your reaction to Nick Martin coming earlier is like, Oh wow. 51. That's, that's overdrafted him from where he should have been. Right. And he hasn't been great with the, the Texans. He's not with the Texans anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just, it's not a super talented line, but to, to the question, do I think they'll play? I think they'll be tougher. I think under Justin Fry, that's something he's done a really good job with the BC and UCLA. Those UCLA lines, Ryan, were physical. That's one thing you knew they were going to be. They were physical. Oh, yeah. Now, will it be by game one? We'll see. But I think they're going to be better this year. By the by, the middle of the season, at least, they're going to be better than they were when this last season ended. In my opinion, I think you're. I think you're. I agree I, with you on that. I'm just. I'm just hoping that a, a two offensive line coach don't ruin Nicholas Petit Freer coming out of high school and Paris Johnson coming out of high school because that Paris Johnson kid was a freak coming out of high school. Yeah. yeah, he was very good, and I think he was good last year. I just think some of this talk about him being a top fifteen pick is like, well, hold on a second, let's let him we, actually. We, yeah, but we have to see him play tackle first, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Let's first. let's see a little bit, but I mean, he. he He's they're going to be more athletic on the edge than they were last year, even if the other kid doesn't gain an ounce of athleticism. Because, as, as you've said many times, and I agree with uh, Nicholas Pettit Frere, was just not he was not as a senior in college the kid he was in high school or early in his career, even. Mm-hmm. All right, so here we go. Let's see here. Here's a good, here's an interesting question. If the 2018 defense and defensive coaching staff was matched with the 2009 Jimmy Clausen offense, how many games does Notre Dame win? Well, see, here's the thing. That 2009 Notre Dame offensive line was not good, and that's the problem. And they had talent. You had Golden Tate, you had Michael Floyd, you had Kyle Rudolph. I mean, they had talent, but the offensive line wasn't good. That was the problem. They were, they were, not, they were not a well-coached offensive line, but – he did say, but here's my question. If you could give me the 2009 offense with maybe Harry Heastan as the line coach, maybe we have the conversation, but I don't know if the winds change with Jimmy in that offense at quarterback uh, because of the line. Like, and I think like they still would have gone 12 and 0 in the regular season, but how would they have fared in the, in the playoff game against Clemson against that D line? That would be my concern, right? Like, yeah. Would the pass rush negate the advantage that they had on the perimeter? I mean, yes, they would have had an advantage. Michael Floyd and Golden Tate, I'm sorry, would have been an advantage over over Trayvon Mullen and AJ AJ uh, Ter- Terrell. I mean, they were very good, but Michael Floyd and Golden Tate were better. But you got to have time to get those throws off. <laughs> I don't know if they would have time to get those throws off. That's fair. So, uh, but that I think it would have been a more competitive game. I'll say that. I think they would have scored on Clemson a little bit. Would it have been enough to win? That I don't know. I will say this, however. I, I do believe this. If you could take the 2009 offense with Jimmy, if the, if they can beat Clemson, which would be tough, I definitely think they beat Alabama. They would have shredded that Alabama defense. Hmm. Shredded them. Uh and I thought Notre Dame defense could have given Alabama's offense fits because Alabama would have had the same problem against Notre Dame they had against Clemson. They couldn't protect quarterback. And that's my that's my two cents. That 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 Clemson 2018 team that defense was silly, man. Really that, good. That was just crazy. So yeah, it didn't I even have Dexter Lawrence in the postseason. That's the crazy thing about it. Nuts. Who went? Who went top twenty in the draft? Right. <laughs> like right. Probably, probably overdrafted a little bit, but yeah. To your point, yes, it was a incredible defense so a immobile 
Jimmy Clausen against that defensive line with the 09 offensive line. I don't right. You know, and 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 Got Frank it. Verducci coaching the O line. Right. That I would have been concerned with. But then right. you could have said just just have Jimmy pinpoint some back shoulder fades to to Michael Floyd and and call a bootleg and let him launch one deep to Golden Tate. I'm like, all right, that gives you enough points. <laughs> but <laughs> um, you know, it would have been it been a much more it have been a much more entertaining game. I will say. Oh, that. for sure, for sure, There's no doubt about it. All right, let's get to some more questions here. I don't know if we have uh, Brian Barry. Uh, it says, uh, don't forget about those Frostburg State studs, Brian. Uh, he is an I, alma mater. I, so the question was, who was the greatest player I ever coached? Uh-huh. I didn't coach at Frostburg State or against Frostburg State. I played against Frostburg State once, and they beat us, and I'm not happy about that because it, it, uh, it, it was our rival. We played him in Raven Stadium. The, the year after they filmed that stupid movie, The Replacements, that field sucked. Uh, but uh, we got the ball back, a couple minutes left, drove down, got in field goal range. My The kicker was my roommate, and he kicked the ball, and it landed closer to the pylon in the back corner of the end zone than it did the goalpost. True story. I, so. I, I played at Frostburg for one year. You did? Under, I didn't know under that. Co- under Coach Rogish, yep. I was there for one year, then the, then the uh, shoulders gave out, and I, I came back home. Yep. Ryan has been fired. So uh, I did not know that. He did not tell me that. He pulled a George O'Leary. He did not tell me on his resume that he played at Frostburg State. <laughs> beautiful campus, man. Right outside of West Virginia. It's beautiful out there. Beautiful. I didn't know he went to my rival. I, I was going to have a conversation. I was, was going to say you're a Salisbury guy. So that means you were a triple option guy, right? Means, yeah, well, that's option. the story. They were my the my sophomore year. We we were not, or you know, my redshirt sophomore year, we were not. And I started on that team. And then the next year went to the option. And you know, but uh, yeah, he George O'Leary'd me. George O'Leary'd me. So. Oh, no, I did not. I did not. I told you. I told you I played in college before. I just can't tell you. You didn't college. say where. <laughs> all right, it's all good. It's all good. I don't care. It's all. It's all. I'm just a couple of Maryland guys, man. What are you gonna yeah. say? Yeah, all good. All good. DMND. Uh, let's see here. DMND thirteen with a depot line. When and how would you rotate guys? I'm get, assuming if it's like one A one B, but you wouldn't. If there's a clear number one and then a drop off, would you give the one B a series every three series or so? We'll take a first crack at that. Talking about just like if you have kind of like a 2017 situation where you have a couple guys that you kind of don't have a starter, but you have two guys that you feel you want to play. Yeah, yeah. I I think I would. I definitely wouldn't do it every series. I, I'm I'm more of a like especially offensive line. I want guys to get in rhythm a little bit. So I think I at two to three series. I think per guy would be a a good a good starting point there. Uh, I just really I hate yanking guys too quickly because I, I I think I mean especially offense is such a rhythm and routine type of thing right like a feel to the game like I hate just pulling guys so quickly so yeah I, I would say two to three series then you get the rotation going but I I definitely do not like taking guys out too quick because I think it ruins the rhythm of the game I think it depends on I'm good with a rotation if you have a set rotation and it's what you practice and it's what you play so like for example in 2017 I think it worked at right tackle because number one you're on an island and so it's a little bit the communication is a little different and number two it you knew what it was it was tommy robert tommy robert tommy robert and if you got to a two minute drill late in a, late in a half they all they both knew what was happening no matter who had the previous series if we get the two minute situation robert's going in at right tackle it'd have to be something like that ryan where it's you know what it is it's every other series or every third series whatever the case may be they know what's going on 
we practice that way and during the week it's been that way in camp it's been that way in practice i i think to your point because you don't want to mess up the groove and so if you don't have a set situation that they know and that you're going to do then i'm not doing it right and i'm i'm not a huge fan of rotating offensive linemen but i do think there are times when you have a solid veteran and a really talented young guy that you know i'm want to get that younger guy some opportunities but it's got it's it can't just be, well, this is the right series to throw that guy in. It's got to be something where everybody knows going into the game on series number three, so-and-so is going in. I think it has to be like that. Because to Ryan's point, the offensive line is different than receiving core, right? Where everybody's got to know what everybody's doing, but they're not necessarily working together as much except for like mesh concepts. The offensive line, it's a if one guy is throwing off the timing, the rhythm, the cadence, whatever, it can mess up your whole line. And so I think that that is the important piece of because, I mean, I'm assuming that's your concern, right, is is in regards to to ro- bringing another guy in off the yep. bench. Absolutely. Yep. All right. DMND 13. Do you know which coach isn't on the road recruiting since Bowden was on the road? What are your thoughts on having Bowden on the road like that? I'm all for him being on the road when he can. And uh, my understanding is Coach Heastan was in a wedding is that's why he uh, he was there. And um I believe it was Tommy Kramer's wedding, but there might've been another one uh, that he was a part of too. Cause some of his players are getting married. And that was, I was actually sent a picture of Tommy Kramer's wedding. It was really cool. There's so That's many, awesome. so many former Notre Dame players there. Like all the offensive linemen were there. They played for coach Eastan. Um, you know, Ian book was there. It was really cool to see all those guys. Cause you see like, Hey, these guys, these guys are, these guys are brothers. I mean, they're not just right. teammates, they're brothers. Right. And they're, they're sharing each other's lives. You saw, I mean, think about, Hainsey was there. Eichenberg was there. Banks was there. Kramer was there. Brock Wright was there. Ian Book. I mean, think about where all these guys live now. They're all NFL players. Aaron Banks, I think, did I say him? He was yeah. there. I think Colin Grunhardt. I mean, these kids are living all over the country now. But they came back for that moment. And then you see Coach Eastan there, who's like foot and a half shorter than everybody else in the picture. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see that, you know. I'm, um, I'm, I'm happy to see Tommy Kramer is locked on a little bit in the yeah. NFL after all his injuries. Very He's healthy. finally healthy. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty cool deal. That's a pretty cool deal. All right, let's get to some, see if we have any more questions here. Uh, we, I know we got some starred ones. Let's see if we some of those are good. Uh, we are not Marshall. Ryan, with the success that team from the north, we're talking to Michigan, had yeah. with their DNs, how do you see Foskey impacting the game at the shoe? It's a good one. Yeah, and that is a good question. I mean, so in, in Notre Dame's defense with Foskey being a Viper, he's playing to the weak side a ton, right? So – it's not as easy to say like, you know, I'm going to take advantage of who the weaker offensive tackle is. I'm just going to put him against the right tackle all day. Like you can't unfortunately do that. But I think that when you get those matchups specifically where he's able to go against the right tackle, Dewan Jones in obvious passing situations, I think he could have a huge impact because that kid is a slow footed guy. I think that the first step that Foskey has and the explosiveness that he has, I think he's going to be able to win outside track a ton. And you have Paris Johnson, who's, very talented player we've talked about a little bit, but he's going to be a first-year starting left tackle for, for mm-hmm. Ohio State. He's been inside a guard. So I think Foskey can have a big impact. I think the defensive end position just in general can have a big impact in the game because one tackle, you're just – unless his weight is down, he's a little bit slow foot, and you've got a guy that's going to be starting his first game at left tackle for Ohio State. So I, I think he can have a huge impact. I, I agree. I think the guy that could end up having the biggest impact is one of the other ends. Either either just Justin Adamiola or Riley Mills. 
reality is, is Ohio State knows what Isaiah, who Isaiah Foskey is, and they're going to have a game plan to try to keep him from taking over. Now, you can't double him the whole game unless you just want to completely expose yourself to other things. But they're going to have some things for him. That gets made very harder if Justin Adamiola or Riley Mills has a big – or both have a big game. So uh, if you look at the ends in general, Notre Dame's ends have to make an impact. It's not just Foskey, and that and that's what you know. I think what Ryan is getting at it. If they're going to take him out of the game, then that's going to open up opportunities for Jason and Justin and Riley and those guys to make plays, and they got to step up and do it. And those are matchups I like. I mean, I think Dewan Jones is going to have a really tough time playing at the same pad level that Justin Adamiola is playing at. I, just, I think he is. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think Riley Mills is going to give him some problems athletically, and if he gets matched up against Isaiah Foskey, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a big problem. Like I could see him getting up under his chest and just driving him right into the quarterback, just launching him onto, onto CJ Stroud. I mean, you know, we'll see if that ends up happening or not, but that would be my concern. One-on-one matchups with Isaiah Foskey is not going to be fun times. No. no. And, and that's what was so smart about what Cincinnati did last year. They just said, it's not, it's not going to beat us. And they slid their protection. They chipped backs. They chipped tight ends. I mean, they just, they had a plan for the whole game. And then there's about three or four snaps that I can remember him not getting blocked. And guess what he did on those plays? <laughs> you know what I mean? Made, made some plays. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yep. Sean Ziegler says, Brian, could you discuss some of the dysfunction that went on behind the scenes during the 2016 season? Was BVG not liked amongst players? And same with Kaiser. How, how so, long we got here, Brian? How so long many, we got? I'll be real brief. Number one, Brian Kelly was such an absentee parent at that point in time. He was never around the team. He had no concept of what was going on in the program. The uh, start, just several things. Uh, the quarterback battle. You know, Malik Zaire was the the leader of that team the year before, and everybody just kind of thought he was going to get the job back. And Brian Kelly said the starting quarterback is going to be this, 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 and this, and this. And then Deshaun did none of those things or a few of those things, and Malik did all those things, and he still gave the job to Deshaun. It was very obvious in fall camp that there was some dysfunction on offense because of the quarter, the way the quarterback battle was handled. Malik would have a great practice, and then all Brian Kelly would talk about afterwards was how great Deshaun was, right? They, it was clear during fall camp, too, that it, the offense was being geared towards what Deshaun does well, not towards what Malik does well. And that held the offense back. Uh, Brian Kelly gave Mike Sanford a lot more say in the offense that year and took some away from Mike San or Mike Dembrock, which was a dumb move because Mike Dembrock did a really nice job the year before, and Mike Sanford's a bad football coach. But that's Brian Kelly didn't know that because Brian Kelly's not around, and so you have that was a problem. Uh, so you 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 lost some really good players and you know you had some skill. I mean Equinemia St. Brown and Kevin Stefferson and and Torrey Hunter Jr. and CJ Sanders, like they had they had weapons. It just was there was no there was no rhythm on that offense. There was there was it just was it was a mess. But it was Mike Sam, it was just the, the players didn't know who the leader was. At quarterback, they didn't know who the leader was, and who the leader was on offense because you have Brian Kelly giving his input on what plays to call. You got Mike Sanford doing his thing, you got Mike Denbrock doing thing. I was told by players from that team, like we would literally come off the sideline and BK would say something to us. And then Sanford and Denbrock would tell us two completely different things. And that would happen in practice. It would happen in film sessions where like Sanford would say one thing to his group and then Denbrock would say something completely different to his group. And it was a mess. And it was usually Denbrock was the one that was right. That was just the offense. I mean, the defense was several things. Number one, the strength program was a mess. I've said this before. I was, I warned people about the 2016 season many times. I got called a hater and all this other crap because I'm some of the, I mean, I was told players were getting locked out of the gym 
So they had to go get like memberships to like local gyms because they wouldn't have the gym open like all the time where players could come get work. They felt the strength program wasn't pushing them. We've had people verify that in the in the chat here. We've had people say, yeah, I worked at a gym and I see Tavon Coney and other players coming in all the time. Uh, you know, it, it was just, it was a mess. Brian Van Gorder was despised by his players. And then they despised Brian Kelly for letting him stay around. And, and then, of course, Brian Kelly wasn't around. So there were so many problems with that football team. But it was head coach, quarterback, defensive coordinator was really at the root of all of it. And, the, you know, that's kind of what did him in. Because if you think about it, that was one of the easiest schedules Notre Dame has had in Brian Kelly's tenure. They lost to a 3-9 and nine Michigan State team, a 4-8 and eight Duke team. They lost a freaking Navy. You know, it just it was such a it was such a mess and it was such a mess. But I could do a whole show. I could do a week worth of shows on each of those topics. But it was just Brian Kelly just not giving a crap and not being around. And that's what it boiled down to. But it was it was bad. Lawrence Adams with a super chat. Thank you, Lawrence. I'd give BK 50 percent credit for a, a championship in the next couple of years, 25% for uh, this is great. I love this. I was wondering where he was going to go with this 25% for hiring Marcus Freeman and 25% for leaving. Just saying Lawrence, I was really thinking, cause I didn't read the whole question out and I got to get better about doing that, but that is a great answer, Ryan. I don't know. Were you here for that part of the show about no. how much credit oh, yeah, 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 was. Was a championship? How much credit would you give Brian Kelly? I think you were listening below. I'd love to hear yes. your answer. But this is a great answer from Lawrence. 25% for hiring Marcus Freeman and 25% for leaving. Yeah, that is I, a I, great answer. I couldn't really argue with you or Vince. I think Vince said 20, right? And then you said, he said 25. He, like, said, yeah, he said 20, yeah. I yeah, said he said fair. I said 20 to 25, yeah. Yeah, I would give I would give him some because I mean some of the players on the roster over the next couple of years are still going to be guys that he recruited for the most part, and hiring Marcus Freeman is a substantial thing. So yeah, you have mm-hmm. to give him a little bit of credit. You can't say zero, right? You have to give him. I mean, it just depends on how much credit do you want to give him for hiring Marcus Freeman. I think is really what it boils down to. That yeah. that's that's what it boils down to. I mean, and I think it's a decent chunk. I think it's a decent chunk to be honest with you. All right, let's get some more before we get, I get out here. Uh, Joseph Salvatore, any comp between George Karloftis and Owen Wafel? Uh, no, I mean, look, Karloftis was a little tight, just a semi, but he was a true edge rusher. Like, he was mm-hmm. physical profile, and he was a guy that speed to power convert, great hands. Everything was awesome in that respect. Owen Waffle is a guy that I, I – Wafel, I'm sorry, I called him Waffle. Owen Wafel is a guy – that is going to be a pure interior guy, right? Like he's going to be one gap penetrating type of nose in that system. I think he has a lot of power to him. I think there's an upside to him, but I would say he's more Derek Landry than he is at George Koloftis. George Koloftis is a kid that just went in the first round and he's a true defensive man. So I don't see that comparison. I think the only thing I see is I think they both have really good motors, really good motors. That's one area where I would compare them as well. Uh, Benji, eighteen oh one. Notre Dame just opened as three and a half point dogs to USC. I love it. I love it. I didn't, I didn't see that. I don't pay attention to that, but I love it. Keep the disrespect flowing. I'm sure Marcus Freeman is like, yes, thank you. I hope we're dogs to Clemson as well. I don't know if they are, but yes, that would, I think that's good for Notre Dame. Matt McCarthy with Super Chat. Thank you, Matt, very, very much. It's nice to see Notre Dame recruiting in Massachusetts. What are your thoughts on Gearby Lambert? Bubakar's high school teammate uh, on three ranked him as the number 12 overall. They have some weird O-line rankings. Number 12 overall in the 24 class also is Notre Dame in on Bronte Johnson. I'll say the latter, no. 
they're not. They're not recruiting, even though he's from Fort Wayne, they're not recruiting him. And I think we all understand why. Ryan, have you had a chance to watch Gearby Lambert? I have not. I have not. Okay. It's crazy have. though. Massachusetts yeah. back-to-back years having kids that rated that high. That's pretty yeah. insane. Go ahead. Yeah. I like Gearby. He's really raw, but he's exactly what you'd think a soft, a six, seven, 285, 90 pound off, sophomore offensive line would be super long, pretty athletic when his technique is right, but his technique makes him at times look unathletic, but there's a lot of tools to work with. I mean, I think it's silly to rank sophomores, to be honest with you, in, in, a, in a top 100. But he is a guy that, for take the rankings aside, he is a guy that absolutely needs to be high on Notre Dame's list because he is a uh, 6'7". He's got some athleticism. He's long arms. He's, he's, he's got some toughness to him for a sophomore in high school. He's a good football player, A lot of, or he's got a lot of potential. I don't know if he's necessarily a good football player yet. He's got a lot of potential, a lot of tools. I mean, if you're talking about starting an O-line class all with Peter Jones and him, that's a pretty darn good way to start. No, Because <laughs> I think Gearby's got – he's he, – I'm curious to see when you get to watch his film, Ryan, what you think of him. But he's got left tackle tools to me with coaching, mm-hmm. whereas Peter Jones is, is a right tackle guard guy for me. A big power sure. player, right tackle guard kind of guy. That would be a great, a great way to start your 2024 class if you could. Uh, but I like him a lot. I mean, he's he's a guy that I think their name should prioritize, and I believe they are. I mean, they, you know, Coach Heastan has been on him for a while, and they 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 offered him very early in the process. You know, I think it was all part of the. They've, the, they've only offered the, like four offensive linemen that's right it. now, right? It's like Something him, like yeah. Peter uh, Peter Jones, Kyle Altooner, and it was like Josiah mm-hmm. Thompson. I think is the only yes. four that I'm aware of uh, yep. that have offered so far in the 2024 class. So. Yeah, and that's you're never going to see a coach he stand coach offensive line with like 25 offers out to offensive line. You're just not you're not often going to see that. Crazy like a Foskey in the last 15 years in Notre Dame, who would win your did the most with least natural ability award? Who would be the greatest waste of ability award? I'm going to be honest with you, Ryan. For the first one, yeah, I'm I'm hard pressed not to go with Tommy Reese. Yeah, Tommy Reese is a good one. That's a, one immediate. I mean, he's in. in the top five of Notre Dame records, and he's not that talented of a quarterback. And he would tell you that. Right. I mean, and I'd have to maybe I'd probably have to go with him because, like, I wouldn't go with Chris Fink because Chris Fink is an athletic dude. Like, Chris Fink is a he's, he's like a four that, five something. Yeah, kid. he ran he a four five yeah. seven at the combine. When he was he was faster than um, four five six. He was faster than Hunter Renfro. Uh, I think he was an athletic, talented guy. I'd say, I'd say probably Ian Book. I mean, uh, excuse me, probably Tommy Reese is what I'm thinking. Joe Schmidt uh, is he popping your but head? He wasn't good. That's the problem. Is. I mean, he was good that one. He one year he was decent, solid was, until he got yeah. hurt. He was a solid yeah, player right, until he got right. hurt. Who did the least? Who the greatest waste of ability award? I don't know if I want to answer that one because it's it's kind of mean, negative, negative. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I want to answer that one in such a public maybe, form. I, maybe, I might be more maybe, willing to answer we, that on the board. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. Or I was going to yeah. say maybe we could rephrase it to say like a guy that you thought could have a higher upside, but I didn't think Deshaun reach it Watson something. left a lot. Uh, Deshaun the, Kaiser. Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, left the yeah. Deshaun Watson. He only won one title. What a bum. Uh, <laughs> right. Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, to me should have been so much better than he was but then there's guys like you know like i said josh Lant, josh barajas i thought it was him he didn't do anything max max redfield was one for me yeah but he was at least still a good player you know he just yeah, never i thought i thought, never I thought he was gonna potential. be i thought yeah. he was gonna be like i mean obviously they're different players than like kyle hamilton yeah. but i thought he was gonna be like kyle hamilton yeah. light <laughs> like i, I thought that. he was gonna be that dude 
I get that. Here's an interesting question, Ryan. John F., do either of you guys plan to play the new NCAA game when it comes out? Curious to see if Indy will be in it or if they will continue their holdout. They'd be stupid to continue their holdout. That would be so dumb, uh, number one. But uh, not only will I play it, I will go buy a new system in order just to play that game. Yes, I will play that game. I've already – actually, it's funny. I was talking to to this with Angela. When that game comes out, I will take a couple days off. I'm just telling you right now. I will have stories ready. We'll have and if breaking news comes, we'll report it. But I will not be working those two days. I'm just going to be completely honest with y'all. Nor will I, I, I be still, sleeping. I, I still play NCAA 14 all the time. Yeah. yeah. So yes, 100. We'll be playing. Yeah. It, I mean, it's yeah. the best game. It's way better than Mad Man. Yeah. It's way better than Mad. Now it's here's the question, Ryan. Are do you play it? Like, do you play games? Like, do you yes. play the whole season? Like, do you play each game? So this is what I do. I so I take over a franchise. I build it up for four years, right? Mm-hmm. I redshirt the first year. I get my whole team, and it's my team, and then I play that final season when they're all okay. like redshirt seniors or seniors. Okay. Yep. Then I play that whole season. I will only play big games. Like that's it. Like I'll only play big games because I I love the dynasty mode. I love doing the recruiting and and the training and all that kind of stuff. Is now I'll do all the tra- like I'll play all the training. You remember that? Like the drills and stuff. I would do that, but. Uh, I didn't play many games. I just gets right. the coach in me, right? Like I just, I, I enjoy the, the, you know, it's like one time I got really sick. It was like, gosh, it's like 2010 or 11. We just moved here. I got really sick. Like I was sick a whole week. And so Angela went and bought me an EA sports, like NFL GM game. I loved it. Right. I mean, it's so much fun. Cause um, you can, I mean, it's just, you're just the GM. There were some quirks with it that I didn't like, but like it does the premise of it was a lot of fun. Uh, here's something I want to address, Ryan, which I, I think Georgia is from nothing personal. Georgia's proof that you can win a championship with a three-star quarterback and two of the opponent's best offensive players injured. Look, I get, I get what you're saying. And I don't know if this is something somebody else said, somebody talking about Stetson Bennett, but the reality is, is Georgia's an anomaly. It's like Bama's won titles with mediocre quarterbacks. I mean, they got, they won a title somewhat recently with uh, the playoff era with Jacob Coker, you know I mean? But it, it's, I mean, you can't, you, those teams are the anomaly. I mean, because number one, they, they're recruiting it in a different way than most teams are. They play the game in a different manner. And let's be honest, the only time Georgia's, you know, won a title is playing a, a you know, they got a re they want a rematch, right? I mean, and a bunch of guys got injured. So I don't know if I would uh if I would say I think there might be a little sarcasm in there, you know, with the, the injury comment, but I just and plus it's I never like using the outliers as the reason to prove something. You know, just it's it's exception, not the rule. Yeah, right. You don't yep. use the exception to define the rule, exactly. in my opinion. I just I'm not a big not a big fan of that action. Let's get to a few more questions here before we got to get out of here. John A1, do you believe the 2022 Notre Dame receiving receiver room is as talented as the 2021 Baylor room? Do you believe Chancey Stuckey would perform better at Notre Dame than he did at Baylor? I want to get your opinion on that because I have a I have a I have a strong take on that. I th- I think it's more talented than 2021. I mean. The, the Baylor 2021. Yeah, the Baylor 2021. I mean, I mean, because you had the Taekwon Thornton kid who ended up mm-hmm. going second round, but he was overdrafted. Everybody knows that by the Patriots. I mean, he's a really fast, athletic kid who had a good season. There's no doubt. But I would say long term, if him versus a Lorenzo Styles hit their ceiling, I would say Lorenzo Styles is just a better football player. And I think that 2022, he might be even be a better version. I, I, I mm-hmm. truly think that it could happen that quickly. So, I mean, besides that, you have Taekwon Thornton and then. RJ Sneed's a solid player. I mean, but he's not nothing special. I type of type of dude. So yeah, I, I think 
I think that there's definitely more talent in the Notre Dame receiving room. I don't think it's I don't even think it's actually that close. Agree. Honest. I think overall Notre Dame has more talent. Where I think the difference is is B is is Baylor had a lot more experience. I mean, Tyquan Ty, Ty Thornton had been a starter for two years. I mean, he had like 800 receiving yards like two years before that. Uh, what's the other kid's name? R.J. Sneed, right? It was the other kid's name. He had played a bunch of football. So I think experience-wise, Baylor has the advantage. But talent-wise, I in depth, I would – I mean, they, their third receiver was an Ivy League walk-on, right? I mean, <laughs> he, he's not seen the field in Notre Dame. So talent-wise, so. no. Yeah. Talent-wise, it's better. It's just it's inexperience combined with – an overall lack of depth, I think, is mm-hmm. the issue. So, yeah, I, I it, it that's kind of my that's kind of my stance on that one, Ryan. All right, let's get to here. We got Tommy Guns. Based on what you just said about Ohio State, if if Notre Dame wins uh, September third, would you rather win the first game with a guaranteed rematch in the first round of the playoff, or lose Week One in a rematch in the championship? I'd take the latter. I always want to be the team that lost a rematch. I never want to, I never want to be in a situation. You got to beat a team twice. I can't think of that ever working out in a championship format. The only time I remember working out it at all was Oklahoma beat TCU in a rematch like twice uh, Mm -hmm. for a big 12 title in the last five or six years. There was a year, but that TCU team wasn't anywhere in the same ballpark as what Oklahoma was. I think it was a Kyler Murray year. No, it was, was it 17? It was somewhat recently. They beat TCU twice to win the big 12 title. But you go back to like 2011, LSU beats Bama at Bama and has to play them again in a neutral field and then loses convincingly. Well, of course they were going to lose convincingly. You're not going to beat Bama twice. It's very hard to beat a team twice a year. Very hard. Even on the NFL level, like you usually see teams split in the division. Like you don't usually see teams sweep. Plus teams like really bad. If you're talking about two good teams. Exactly. Uh, Didn't the Bills beat the Chiefs during the regular season this year? Or did the Chiefs beat them twice? I can't remember. Uh, but I mean that, but you you are correct. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of some, some other situations where there were re where there were rematches uh, of those situations, but yeah, like, uh, what was it the year that Florida, the year that Florida beat Florida state to win it, uh, the, uh, the national championship under Spurrier, they got mm-hmm. pounded by Florida state in the regular season. I mean, yep. I didn't like Andre. Wa- I think Andre Wadgers was the best Florida state, but they p- punished Danny Warfel, absolutely punished Danny Warfel in that game. But then they got a rematch and Florida won, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so that's kind of – yeah, I was correct. Uh, Buffalo beat Kansas City 38-20 in the regular nice. season. And oh, then so they, they beat, them, a, they beat right. them firmly. Right. That's nice. yeah. right. The interesting thing is uh, Cincinnati beat Kansas City twice this that's year. That's crazy. That's crazy. And, and pretty close. But I think part of it is because it was it was kind of close. It's like, a, it's, it's like less than a month apart. Mm-hmm. It's 34-31 and then, and then the overtime game. I think that was more about Cincinnati just choking that game away than it was anything. I mean, uh, Kansas City choking Kansas that game City. away than it was anything. They sure did, man. Here's an interesting one, Ryan. Uh, Jay Montalbano, if you could have Keon Keeley, Caleb Downs, and Drake Bowen, or just Dante Moore, who are you taking? Um, <sighs> neither. I, I know yeah. where you're going with this one, but I, I don't want to have to choose that. You need both. If I could only have one of those, I'm taking the three great players over one great player. I mean, Same. you know, like I'm going with that because, again, that's the Georgia model, right? Like you can win with a okay quarterback if, you know, I mean, C.J. Carr is not exactly a consolation prize 
you know, he's pretty a good player. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Um, Steve Angeli, I would take Steve Angeli coming out of high school, and I would take Stetson Bennett coming out of high school, right? Oh, You've got Tyler Buckner sure. still and all that, but I mean, I'm still taking the three great players. I mean, I, I'm going to try to get better at not taking the total cop out, like you know, with I want both and respect the question. I would take the three studs over the one stud, but the I nice thing is, is they don't have to make that. They don't have to make that exception, but yeah. I get the point of the question, but give me three studs that make sure that you can't score on me and I don't need an, an elite quarterback. Now, the way that you build a, 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 a program that's competing for titles year after year after year is you do both, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're going to find out. Is Georgia a one-year wonder like LSU? We're just kind of all went together at the right time, or are they building a program? I tend to lead toward tend towards the former. We'll find out if that's true or not. Tyler Bedwell, in your opinion, what happened with Duval Kamara's Notre Dame career? It's funny when this question came up, and I think this looking at the timing of this question, I think this question came up before you mentioned his name. Before, before I slipped, I yeah. think so. In your opinion, what happened with Duval Kamara's Notre Dame career? He came as a five star and came in a lot of hype, but he never really became anything. Was it personal issues or just Weiss's poor development? So he actually had a good freshman year. He led the team in receiving as a true freshman, I believe, or receiving yards, I believe. Maybe John Carlson had – I think John Carlson had more catches, but Duvall might have had more yards. I'm going to look that up here real quick. Notre Dame 2007 football stats. John Carlson led the team in catches with 40 and yards at 372. Duvall was second. He led the team in receiving touchdowns. Duvall had 32 catches for 357 yards and four touchdowns as a freshman in 11 games. So, uh, Ryan, do you do you uh, have enough recollection of that tenure to to offer an answer? I can certainly give my I, thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I think your thoughts would be a little more in depth. Obviously, I, I remember that I was really excited about him when he was a true freshman, and then I just didn't hear much from him after that type of situation. Yeah. I think there's a couple things. I don't I don't know if Duvall, from what I've been told, was always the most focused kid. I think that's part of it. I think Rob Ionello was a horrible receivers coach. Um, he had no clue how to t- coach. He was a good recruiter, but I've heard some horror stories about him as a receivers coach. And Duvall was a kid that needed to be coached. I mean, he was not getting at it. it was He's from Hoboken, right? Then he played Hoboken. You know, he yep. was just a big, tall, raw kid. And I think the other part of it too is Notre Dame's strength program at the time was was like there was all this talk made of how when Charlie came in, guys got in better shape because most of all got in better shape. That was that was a, the, his exception. I thought too many guys kind of got too bulky. That Ruben Mendoza wasn't great at creating elusive guys, and I thought Duvall got stiffer. He was always a little bit tight, but I thought he had you know good vertical ability, good ball skills, but he just he wasn't taught how to play the game. I don't think he had the necessarily the greatest work ethic. And I think the strength program hurt him because it made a tight kid even tighter. And, uh, but he, you know, he ended up having a decent senior year. Not, not that he put up a bunch of numbers, but he had some big plays. He don't, you know, call 11 passes for under 12 yards. Remember he called a touchdown pass in that USC game in 2010 uh, that helped Notre Dame beat USC for the first time, in like eight years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he had his moments, you know, he had his moments where, where he ended up, um, you know, he, uh, he ended up having some some good some some impact on Notre Dame. There's no question about it. All right, here we go. Last couple. I'm gonna get to the last couple here. Uh, here we go. If you could build a receiving core out of the Irish receivers from the last 20 years for this year's team, who would it be? And could that group win a championship? Well, the latter answer is freaking heck yes. 
Uh, and it doesn't matter what combination you go with. Mine is my boundary receiver is Michael Floyd. My field receiver is probably Will Fuller. Uh, we're going to pick the same team, aren't we? Yeah, and my slot receiver is, I mean, last 20 years. So that takes us back to 2002. So I, so thinking about that, I'd probably put some Mars in the slot. Really? Okay, I yeah. put Golden Tate in the slot. Oh, Golden Same Tate. Team, yep. No, nope, nope, we're in the there. Slot. I'm with you. Nope. I'm with uh, you. That's my team. Nope, it's mine. Nope. You can't have it anymore. I'm with you. I forgot about Golden. How <laughs> did I forget about Golden Tate? No, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I like that. But that's, again, if I take Samarja and you take Golden, I think we're both realizing we're accomplishing the same thing. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I got my my got my hundred catch guy in the boundary who can just win a one on one against anybody. I got my four three two guy to the field, right? Who can also play in the slot, do some different things there. And then whether you go with Golden Tate or Jeff Samarja, I got another high volume guy that can make big plays after the catch there. Because that's the thing. I, the reason I would go Samarja because he can work the middle of the field. His lack of speed doesn't become as big of a factor there. He knew how to get open. And he was pretty good after the catch. He was surprisingly good after the catch. I mean, two of the biggest plays of his career, like most of them, he had two game-winning touchdowns, one game-winning touchdown against UCLA, which was after the catch. And then he had a big touchdown against Michigan State that got them back in that game. Then Terrell Lambert ended up having the game-winning touchdown on a pick six. But uh, Samarja so had that slant. If you remember, he caught it in the range, stopped. The guy ran past me, cuts back outside and takes it in for a touchdown. It was after mm-hmm. the catch. He was pretty decent after the catch. I love so, Samarja. I love yeah, Samarja. Yeah. That would be that would be you Samarja or Tate. I mean, either one, and you're and I'm I'm not losing to anyone. And I'd either have Tyler Eifert or Michael Mayer at tight end, depending on what Michael Mayer does this year. I'd still take Tyler Eifert now. Like yeah. right now, Tyler Eifert in 2011 and 12 was better than what Michael Mayer is right now. Mm-hmm. I think Michael Mayer as a junior could end up being better. What about what about uh, if you cheated a little bit, you could put Tyler Eifert as your big slot? I'd st- I'd still do that even with my 11 yeah. personnel. I mean, that's the <laughs> thing is there could be a play where I'm going to put Michael Floyd to the field, have Will Fuller and Golden Tate or Samarja in the no, two and three, and I got I got Tyler Eifert as my boundary, right? I mean. Yeah, you could do a lot of fun things with them. Here's a question of the last 20 years since 02, who's your running back on that team? Who's your starting running back on that team from 2002 to now? Um, Mine's Julius, easy. Julius, Julius Jones? There you go. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. Good answer. That helps make up for the Frostburg State thing from earlier. <laughs> uh, this is going to have to be the last one. We do have to get going here. Um, we are not Marshall. This is this is kind of going along the same lines that we talked about. We are not Marshall. Brian Vince will insert – Ryan for Vince, favorite players by decade, 1980s to now. So let's go one offense, one defense. 1980s is easy for me. Uh, it's Tony Rice. Uh, I kind of, I kind of, my fondest memories of Rocket are more of 90 from the 90 season. So uh, I kind of put him into the 90s a little bit. But uh, Tony Rice, 80s on offense, defensively, and then 80s. It's probably Todd Light. It's Todd Light. Tim Brown, Tim Brown offense. I never really saw Tim Brown play. That was a little before my time. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's before my time too, but you know, all of it is exists. Yeah. All of it is the eighties. I don't know the eighties. Tony Rice has a ring. That's kind of where I, why I go with it. And he was a quarterback and I was a quarterback. That's fair. That's fair. I just was a big fan of Todd Light as a player. Defense. I'm going to, I'm going to go with a personal touch here. I I got a DM this morning from Mike Goolsby. So I'll go Mike Goolsby in the (laughs) eighties. Mike Goolsby played in the two thousands. Wait, not Goldsby. Who am I thinking of? Who's who's the linebacker in the eighties? I am off Michael Stonebreaker. 
Stonebreaker. Yes, okay. yes. The greatest name, yeah. last name of all time yes. for a linebacker. Yes, yes. Michael there Stonebreaker. Go. There you go. 1990s. Who's your who's your guy in the 1990s? I'll go Bettis on offense. Defensively. I'm going BY. I'm going BY on defense. Brian Young. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was my favorite guy. Now my now my favorite player of the 90s was was uh I'd probably have to go with this is gonna sound a little weird. My favorite Notre Dame player of the nineties was probably uh Jerry Jackson. Favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh Jerome Bettis was the best, but like just you know, he was part of a great backfield and it's you know, him and Reggie were I kind of put them together, but I loved watching Jerry Jackson play. And I felt yeah. bad for him because he always played on such bad teams. But he'd probably my guy in the nineties. Two thousands, favorite player of the two thousands. Ryan, for me, it's easy. It's Brady Quinn on offense. There, there's there's little doubt about that. And probably go Justin Tuck on defense. My 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 uh my offense would probably be I love Jeff Samarja, so I'll go yeah. Jeff Samarja and then defensively I'll I'll go Tom Zibikowski. I knew you were gonna go there. I love I Tom Zibikowski, go man. He's so, oh. he's so much fun. So yeah, much he was fun. a good kid. He was good. I actually worked with him at a bowling green camp when he was in high school when Urban Meyer yeah. was head coach of Bowling Green. Yeah, he he attended one of their camps. He's a good kid. Nice. Yeah. Uh, 2010s. All right. Who's your yeah. favorite player in the 2010s? Offense and uh, defense. Quentin Nelson. It's a little tougher because I kind of covered the team then. So it's like I yeah. look at him a little differently, like less as a fan than I did in like the 90s and 2000s, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's a little bit tougher. I, I, I would, I would, st- I would say that offensively it's Quentin Nelson, yeah. defensively, Monty Teo. It's hard. It, it's it's challenging to to pick between Will Fuller and and Quentin Nelson because they're both so dominant. So I'm gonna cheat and take both of them. Defensively, you can't do that. I, I can. What? See, see that right up there, right? That right up there. Who owns that? Right? Um, oh, I do. Yeah. So I'm gonna cheat and take both of them. That's why I let you go first. <laughs> Sucker. All right. Nineteen and 2010s on defense. You know. Manti's a good one. Manti Teo's a good one. Uh, boy, I, you know, he was he was probably the best. Jalen Smith, I probably favorite, right? Not best because we Sean and I were having this conversation the other day, mm-hmm. and Notre Dame is always, well, you know, Jalen was the best player. Jalen was the most talented, but Brian Van Gorder kept him from being the best. Just look at the production. Manti had fin- way more production than than Jalen did. Jalen was a tremendous player and if if yeah. Jalen would have got to play with the, the kind of if Jalen would have got the same kind of coaching Mance I got it's a no-brainer when you be close but my favorite my favorite player of the 2010s is probably it's it's probably Jalen and Harrison Smith are probably my two favorites but I'd probably Harrison's have to go with Jalen because Jalen just did things on the football field that you just you just you just don't see you know yeah. I haven't seen it before I haven't seen it since I mean the the play the tackle for loss he had against Michigan in 2014 was just stupid. I was just like you're not supposed to be able to make that play, especially like that deep in the backfield. Like you just that's not fair. Jalen's my favorite. Yeah, now Jalen's a great one. I I have a soft spot for Aloha Gilman as well. Yeah, so he's throwing him out there. Kid. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he yeah. was fun to watch. He was that kid that just like you know Alohi thought. Like if Alohi didn't have the confidence he had, he never plays in the NFL. Like he has supreme confidence beyond maybe than what he should, which is why I love the kid and mm-hmm. why he's been successful. But I, I think he was also a really needed attitude piece for that 2018 team. Like you're talking about swagger. You think about that yeah. 2018 team, who on that defense had swagger outside of him? I think he kind of 
forced that swagger onto air. Him and Jalen Elliott were both really confident kids. I think they kind of their swagger then I think kind of bled into everybody else. You know, his, um, his force fumble against Pinkney against Vanderbilt oh, that huge. that just sticks in my mind so much, man. Yeah. It was such and a great he had play. a huge breakup in the end zone against Michigan that people forget when it was a, when it was getting close to being a, a touchdown game, and uh, he had a big big play. That was kind of how low he was when like a, need, a play needed to be made. You just kind of felt like a low he was going to make it. But yeah, that play against Vanderbilt was insane. Mm-hmm. insane so I, I think that's gonna do it i want to just make sure i got all, to all the super chats we actually have to get rolling here but this has been a fun show there's so many great questions we don't we're not able to get to uh right now may say kate the intel is on fire right now so everyone join the message board hit that like button subscribe to the channel hit the notification bell share this podcast and give a five-star review and as always go irish thanks everybody so much for being with us today you guys did exactly what i knew you were going to do which is you brought great, great, great questions, and you guys made this show be excellent. So thank you all so very much. Have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.